The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. What do you want in 2016? I want to share with you some responses, uh, first from some nine-year-old kids uh, in Boston. And then I want to share with you some responses from some folks that are over 90. Okay, so we're kind of in that middle category, right? First, the kids. In answering the question, uh, what do you want in 2016? Uh, the first kid said this, I want there to be peace and no wars, said Mariah Nykova, nine years old. People should treat each other nicely and not really get into fights and stuff. <laughs> Next person said, I want peace too, Lexi Murphy, age nine. But I also want to help my basketball team win a championship. <laughs> okay, and I thought my boys were competitive. This little girl's fired up. I like it. Another, another, another kid, actually an eight-year-old, says, I think people should pick up more trash. I play football, and it's really messy. Just cans and trash everywhere. I hope they pick some up. Doesn't that kind of make you mad? Kid just wants to play some football, and there's trash on the field. <laughs> Sebastian Christo, age nine. I hope there is no danger to animals, especially penguins. <laughs> Matthew Theodore, age nine, vowed to stop, stop arguing with his twin brother, Jonathan, okay? Little peacemakers. Okay, now switching to our, uh, the geriatric club here, those over age 90. Now, listen, Muriel Kaplan started almost the same way as uh, her nine-year-old friend. She says, I want peace all over the world. That's what's more, most important. Ralph Berkowitz, age 90, I want peace on earth, especially here in America. Another woman says, I have six grandchildren and two more on the way, says Minnie Heller, 90. I have great hope for them. I have hope the world will settle down and it won't be so controversial. Another grandmother says, They're, my grandchildren are all in their 20s and I love this. They're trying to find out who they are and what they want to be in life. I want the world to be a good place for them. Isn't that great? People who are 90 and their hope is that for people in their 20s that the world would be a better place for them. Now, uh, it's interesting to hear these responses. If I'm to be honest with you about the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm asked, what do you want for 2016? Maybe it's because since we last met, I celebrated my 40th birthday. And of course, around 40, you go through a mini midlife crisis and this existential, oh my gosh, I'm getting so old, whatever, the youth of old age. And, uh, and so my first responses to that question are honestly pretty selfish. And I'm not, I'm not proud of that more in the, the realm of New Year's resolutions. And even as I told you, I know you're jealous that on my New Year's, I'm home watching New Year's Rock and Eve with my wife and my seven-year-old. Woohoo! Party animal. Uh, that I was, as, as they started throwing this question around of what do you want to see in 2016, it was almost cliche. 
uh, as Jenny McCarthy would say, I want peace and harmony on earth. And then she lays a fat kiss on her husband, Donnie Wahlberg, as the ball drops and says, hey, we did our part to usher in a peaceful new year. And, I, and I'm, again, I'm not proud to say I was kind of jaded. I'm like, all you did was kiss. That's not doing something for a peaceful new year, whatever. Okay. But there is something to this idea of peace. On Christmas Eve, I was in the family worship services here at UPC, and I, and, and I, was, a, I was a shepherd to all these cute two- to four-year-old sheep. Right, almost, I, I was almost right here on this stage. And of course, as we went through the rehearsals and we practiced, over and over, I heard the proclamation that the angels made to the shepherd from Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. It was, it was the first announcement of what the coming of this baby, the coming of Christ meant. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And I can't help but notice that it isn't glory to God in the highest and on earth judgment. Glory to God in the highest and on earth condemnation or another thing to do. No, it's glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those in whom his favor rests. Peace. Well, as we keep reading in the Gospels, there's another great promise in John 14, where Jesus says, essentially, my peace is what I bring, and it is my peace that I leave. Now, I don't know what your drill is at Christmas, but typically, if you bring something to somebody's house or somebody brings something even better okay, to your house, and then they leave it, what do we call that? That's a gift, right? Something that is brought and left is a gift. And so as I found myself thinking about this whole idea of my peace I bring, my peace I leave, it seems that Jesus longs to give us this great gift that is peace. I read a, uh, finished a great book over the break from a, a friend, a guy that's becoming a friend named Sam Walker, who wrote a book called um, Adam, uh, Eden Without Adam. And he took it a step further and said this. He says, far and away, the greatest gift of God is God's abiding peace, an incarnational peace born of confidence that despite the brokenness of our exile from Eden, from paradise, God's promised deliverance is already accomplished. The greatest gift God gives us is peace. That's what I want us to explore here at the beginning of Winter Quarter. To, tonight, we're gonna start a new series that riffing on a movie that many of you have seen that we're calling May the Peace Be With You, okay? And we wanna look at this idea of, of understanding a little bit of what is this great gift that God gives us. And over the coming weeks, we're gonna dive into some of the nuances. How do we experience God's peace in loneliness? What are the questions that we have about war and justice? We understand ourselves to be living in a world of mystery and chaos, and certainly we experience a, often experience a lack of peace in our relationships. Over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at all those things. But as we get into talking about peace, I want us to look first at some of maybe the, the preconceptions that we have about what peace is, some of the popular images that, that kind of shape how we understand peace. 
for the purposes of, again, me perhaps redefining it, no doubt getting a better understanding of what this piece uh, that's described in the Bible actually is. Okay, here we go on this. First, let's look at some of these cultural images. The first one, when you do a search for peace on earth, you actually get something that's very cute, something that my four-year-old, who's a bit of an antagonist, I would be like, hey, peace on earth, and he's like, peas on earth? Okay, it's cute, it's fun. Um, it pees on earth. There you go. Uh, the second, are people familiar with Forrest Gump or was that still stuck in my generation? There's Jenna giving us the peace sign right there. Uh, and, and kind of getting us started in the, in the, following the lead of, of another great figure, uh, from that era in John Lennon. Okay. This, this sense of, of peace, of free love that developed in the sixties, kind of the, it's, it was both an individual liberty and a political statement that was being made. Of course, we can, uh, jump a, a little bit, uh, further and we see peace as protest as as um, a non-violent protest, people advocating for peace. And no doubt a popular notion of peace here are, are people protesting um, against the Vietnam War, that this notion of peace as the absence of conflict or the absence of war. Most recently, we saw the very popular symbol of disarmament um, as a symbol uh, for uh, restoration and hope in uh, Paris following some tragic uh, bombings just last quarter. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I already mentioned uh, Forrest Gump. If we want to go back uh, to the 90s uh, again, uh, we get the Homer Simpson version of peace. Perhaps oh, some of you have commonality. seen this. Some of us don't eat pork. Some of us don't eat shellfish. But all of us love chicken. <laughs> you can simmer it in a tagine. In a soup, you can boil it. Spread the word. Peace and chicken. Peace and chicken. That's the Homer Simpson version of the of the the bumper sticker that you see that takes all of the symbols of the world's major religions that, that says kind of bring them together. The Homer Simpson version is we all agree on peace and we all agree on chicken. Peace and chicken. Okay, so as you can see, all of those kind of had this, this global or this outward looking sense of, of peace, this big peace that can sometimes, that we see in, in peas on earth be reduced to a sentimentality or just a good idea that we can all agree on. And then, of course, there can be these symbols of individual peace. Okay, one that I often see on social networks looks a little something like this. You know, it is the cup of coffee with a book and a view that says, look at my peaceful morning. All for, for my own. And, and hear me on this. You may sound like I'm making fun of it. I love this. Okay, I, I love doing that. But a popular notion of peace we have is that it is something that is just for us, that it's all about me finding my peace. Now, that's the pleasant version of it. Uh, how many of you have been to Rockefeller Center, New York City? Anybody? Okay, pretty cool. Another image that I've always found compelling that when we talk about faith, particularly as we jump to thinking about it relative to our faith, when we think about the gifts of God, sometimes it can feel like, like this. This here is a sculpture of the Greek mythological figure Atlas. 
Some of you may know now, now Atlas, after the Titans were defeated, was his punishment was that he was to carry the weight of the heavens on his back, on his shoulders. Well, I've always loved this image of Atlas out in Rockefeller Center, out in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral, because it looks like he's getting ready to go to church with the weight of the world on his back. That sometimes what we think when we hear about this gift that Jesus gives us in peace is that it's up to us to, to somehow figure it out, to go to church and get this figured out. We're the ones that, that, that need to, to uh, somehow achieve a sense of peace for ourselves. And actually, that's where I would, I would make a distinction between some of the stuff that you would get in Eastern mysticism and New Age uh, religions that would promote this sense of individual or inner peace that is up to you to find. Okay, that's one of the, the major distinctions. As, as much as we can be drawn to this hyper sense of you do you, it is entirely up to you. And this is where we turn the corner in talking about peace when it comes to a biblical or Christian context is that it is first and foremost, not something that you have to figure out or achieve. It is a gift. It is a grace that is for you before you do anything to achieve or earn it. Now, the peace that we're talking about needs to transcend mere politics. It needs to transcend sentimentality. It is a big, gritty, robust, all-encompassing peace. We started with the Old Testament idea of peace. In this word uh, that is, is pretty popular and very prominent in the Old Testament that is shalom. Now, shalom is, is a peace that encompasses and embraces uh, the physical as well as the spiritual. And this is really important. Peace is never something that is just individual. It is also for the community. It, it forces the community into a state of wholeness or reconciliation. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about this, this peace that God desires to give us. It's really a wholeness. That's the best way for us to think about it is peace as wholeness. Now, of course, there, is, there are a lot of ingredients to this type of shalom, this peace. You, you know, if you were to, to look at where we see this word in the Old Testament, a couple of snapshots. One, it is, it, we see it at, in terms of economic prosperity. But here's what's interesting. It's never the economic prosperity of an individual. What is celebrated is the abundant harvest that is there for a community. Now, that's interesting to think about when we read headlines about things like injustice and income inequality in our own context, okay? There is always a communal benefit, political security. We hear about Israel, well, political security and, and military victory. No doubt um, removing the stress of invaders, um, the, the threats that are imminent around us is, are, are other marks of peace. And then, of course, the idea of peace be with you, that there can be a sense of, of peace as somebody being able to go out, accomplish something, and return. That is also peace. So uh, there are a lot of ingredients to this idea of shalom, for sure, wholeness. 
physical and spiritual. In the New Testament, we unpack this idea of peace a little bit more. Now, the literal meaning of of peace in the Greek context really is the mere absence of war. But when we understand who Jesus Christ is, we understand Jesus to be the fulfillment that was first talked about in the Old Testament of this shalom. Okay, the prophet Isaiah calls Jesus, okay, another thing that we heard around Christmas, the prophet Isaiah calls Jesus or, or calls the Messiah, who we is fulfilled in Jesus, the prince of peace. Okay? And so the, the peace that is the fulfillment of this shalom is what we find in Jesus Christ. Because it is, when we think about this idea of wholeness, what is it that Jesus did? Jesus, in, in, in being God incarnate, God in the flesh, ministering to his people here, going to the cross and being raised three days later, is saying, you are whole with God. That's how the Prince of Peace makes this happen. Jesus is God's way of saying, you are okay with God. Now, when we talk about this piece, a story that I want to lead you into, because it's a, it's a verse that, uh, if, we, if we're going to look at the Old Testament really quick, um, Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the most popular, one of the most tattooed verses out there, Right? And so I want, to, I want to give us an idea of, of how big this wholeness is that we're talking about by looking at some of the words of Jeremiah 29, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. And Isaac, I actually want to start at the fourth verse. Okay, here's what it says. Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse four. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Okay, here's the part I want you to catch. This is, this is the most important part of what we're talking about tonight, not verse 11. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity to the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, when you've been there a real long time, way longer than you want to be there, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. For in your misery, in you being in the place that you do not want to be with people you do not want to be with for way longer than you want to be there, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so long as you can subscribe to all those things, then you can get that tattooed on you, okay? That the context of what we get this great message of hope 
is actually pretty discouraging. Now, let me see if I can help you understand what this means, because we don't experience an exile where we are, are being forcefully driven from a, our homeland, from a place we love to be slaves. But I do think that we experience at least a taste of this. Uh, I know that many of you uh, perhaps signed up to be in the residence halls and you didn't get to necessarily pick your roommate. Maybe you live in a situation where you switch rooms every quarter and you drew the short straw and you are with somebody that you don't necessarily want to be with. I know that this has been a problem in my communal living experiences right after college. I was, uh, I was roommates with some, I was living in a bigger house. Um, but I was room, roommates with somebody that I didn't necessarily want to be a roommate with. Why? Because they never emptied the garbage, ever. Did I say ever? Well, I meant ever. And to try and prove a point uh, at one point, I, I stopped doing it for him, okay? And so things piled up and piled up and piled up. It stinks. It looks bad. You know, I'm not going to bring, you know, friends, i.e. dates home to see this pigsty, right? Um, and so inevitably, I would end up cleaning it because that's what I would want to do. Ultimately, what was I doing? I was seeking the, the peace and prosperity of, of, my, of my room, <laughs> Okay, and it was discouraging because it wasn't my job. I didn't want to do it. It felt unfair. And yet, if I was going to experience a sense of peace there, that was going to be the way that it was going to happen. Okay, now that is a, a very trite example to try and, and say that what it means to pursue wholeness can be dirty it can be gritty, and yet it, it's what God wants to give to us, uh, and it's also the response that God expects from us to pursue the peace that he has given to us, that others may experience it as well, even if they don't deserve it. The exiles were sent into Babylon, an empire that they hated, to a place that they didn't want to be and was oppressing them. And God's saying, you will still experience peace as you seek the prosperity of your oppressors. So the first thing that you need to understand as we set sail on a journey of understanding what peace is, is to understand that this is gritty. It's dirty. It's robust. It's bigger than we think. So What? What do we do with this? What's the, why are we looking at all this? Well, this is my hope. And maybe it's, a, maybe, it's t- maybe it's a big hope. Maybe it's an unrealistic hope. But I stand in front of you hoping that we take steps towards becoming a community of peacemakers. What does it look like for us to be people who are peacemakers in the name of Jesus? Now, peacemakers, and Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. He also says, and if you do this, you're going to be persecuted. (laughs) Blessed are the the peacemakers. A peacemaker is somebody who seeks the communal well-being at every point 
of your life, at every point of your destination. A peacemaker is one who seeks not only your own well-being, but the well-being of others. So how do we do this? Okay, two things tonight. I'll make it quick. I've already said it. Jesus is God's way to say you're okay. Now, this is really important. Jesus is God's way to say you're okay. As many of you know, I'm a parent to three boys. And one of the things that I have discovered in seeking to parent these three boys and and do the best I can to help them succeed, both my wife, Julie, and I, uh, you know, there's so much about what do you, you know, what do you do to get your kid into, into Harvard? You know, how do you help you? What do you have to do to, to, to help maximize your kid's potential to succeed? Perhaps some of you in, in your homes experienced the anxiety of parents that are doing everything they can out of good intentions to help you succeed. Well, one, uh, one researcher that I came across um, simply said this, the first and most important thing that you can do to help your child succeed and develop appropriately is to have a great home environment, a place where these kids are free from anxiety, where there's consistency, where they know that they're safe. You see, the brain was not designed, it did not evolve to handle stress very well. So the first thing that you do to help your child become exactly who they are is to have a safe, loving, stable home environment. What Jesus is, is God's way of saying, I've done that for you. To the degree that you, that you come in anxious about where do I stand with God? Man, I got to get myself right with God before I'm ever going to become a peacemaker, before I'm ever going to be able to fully live into this. Jesus is God's way to say, you're okay. I've got you. Do you feel that peace tonight? Do you feel that peace of you're okay? You're, you're in good standing with God. God's inviting you to be in Jesus, in good standing with him. You see, that's the gospel. The gospel is that in Jesus, the prince of peace, you don't need to have any anxiety about where you stand with God. Let there be peace. That's really important. If you don't hear anything else tonight, hear that. If you're going to experience this sense of peace, it starts by knowing Jesus has you. You're good. Now, the second thing is that in response to this peace, peace is to be our response. Here's, here's the way I want to talk about this. Picture yourself in a, maybe down here at the Safeway on Brooklyn and 47th, it's kind of, a, or 50th, it can be kind of a scary place, Okay. Now, picture a long line at the checkout stand, and you, you know, you've got a, a fistful of groceries, and right behind you comes a, a mother with a cart of groceries, a child, two, two children, you know, maybe one on her chest, another in the cart that is just absolutely melting down. Okay, being a peacemaker, being a person of peace, 
Okay, does what? Puts that person first in line. Okay, now, somebody who is able to do that doesn't do it out of a sense of being vindictive. They don't do it out of a sense of, fine, go ahead. No, the type of person that does that is the one who knows that they're okay. That's why it starts with knowing that you're okay. Because it is only then that we're able to say, you know what, go ahead, go, go in front of me, and to do so joyfully. Because that, again, is just a small example of what it means to be a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker will likely lead us to places that would be a real challenge to go. And perhaps maybe we start even by not wanting to do it. It will lead us to places that are messy. The mantra that we have on staff is that ministry is a mess. If there is no mess, there is no ministry. Because ultimately, what we want to do is bear witness to the God that came to bring peace but in so doing, did so in what? A very gritty, dirty, messy way. This is the God that goes to the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the Prince of Peace that says that. This is the God that, as the creed says, descends into hell, goes up to the devil, grabs the keys to, the de- to death and says, you won't be needing those anymore. I will take those. This is messy. The peace we're talking about is not a sentimental peace. It is a gritty peace. It's a messy peace. And it's that type of peace that we bear witness to. My hope for us this quarter is that we might grow in becoming peacemakers. That we would begin by understanding that we are at peace with God because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that our response might lead us into the mess to a world of brokenness, of mystery and chaos, to say, you know what? I know you're okay too, because I'm okay. Let's hop on that journey together. Let's pray. God, make us peacemakers. Help us to know the peace that transcends understanding. Help us be peacemakers, people of peace, that seek your peace in every environment that we would ever find ourselves in. Uh, We start by saying thank you for what you've done for us. Help us to know this gift that you have given us and how incredibly special and robust it actually is. And then, of course, empower us by your Holy Spirit to respond with courage as we seek to be peacemakers in a world that I believe needs peacemakers. Help us out, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.